This drink, I like it. I know, it's great, right? Another! What is going on, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Film on Tap, where we've got the tap that never runs out. Today, I am joined, unfortunately, by just one of my co-hosts, but he's great. Don't worry. He's great. He's great. You know, unfortunately, it's just me. <laughs> <laughs> it's unfortunately just him. Uh, Nancy, unfortunately, is feeling under the weather. We wish her the best. She'll be back in the next episode. Um, but today it is just Andres and I, and we're going to bro out over some movie topics today. We got mm. plenty to talk about, some fun stuff. So let's just jump right in. Now, first off, we got a little piece of movie news, and that piece of movie news is that the previously announced Lando Disney Plus series that was going to star Donald Glover is now not going to be a series anymore. It's actually going to be a fully-fledged Star Wars movie. So, with that being said, are you excited about this new development, or did you prefer it to be a show? Oh, um, do I want to spend nine hours on a story that's on Disney plus that could have been truncated to less than an hour and a half, like <clears throat> Kenobi um, or more than half of the stuff that they've produced on Disney plus over the past couple of years. But um, yeah, with the news of Lando going from a Disney plus series to a full fledged movie, it can only mean they were going to give it a bigger budget they're going to truncate the story. And mm. honestly, I prefer that. I, I prefer that. Like with Ahsoka going on right now, like as much as I love that character, it, it feels too daunting right now to just jump into that without having caught up on four seasons of Clone Wars and the Bad Batch and mm -hmm. Rebels and all that other stuff. I'm like, ah, it's, it's so much work to catch up on that. That for for something like Lando right now, it's like okay, we've got Empire, we've got we've got Empire, we got Return, we got all the stuff that Lando is in previously, and so it feels it feels like an easier gateway for for anybody else to join in on this. But as far as the continuing story of uh, Gambino as Lando, fuck yeah, I'm fully on board with that. I think I think that was probably one of the more one of the more weirdest misunderstandings from the audience and the fan base is that when Solo was announced, everybody was like, "Why, why a young Han Solo movie?" And then when you find out that it's like, "Oh, it's semi the story of a young Han Solo and Lando Calrissian first meeting up," you're like man, we want a young Lando movie. Like that's, that's what we all wanted to see. And like, right. that's what I think we're getting with this so far. So I'm on board with it, but honestly, if it's star Wars in the Disney era, uh, I'll believe it when it's in front of me because they've announced so many things over the past couple of years that I don't even know if it goes in the production by this point. So there you go. Yeah, um, about this one. I like, I'm excited, like you said, about the idea of Donald Glover returning to be Lando because I think he was pitch perfect as that character. <laughs> but yeah, I never was really excited about it being a show. I was just thinking, okay, well, I just feel like, is there's, is there's, there's no way there's going to be enough story to sustain even like six episodes of the show. I just feel like it's going to be an okay adventure that feels like could have been cut into like one or two episodes or just one movie. So the fact that it's just becoming a movie, I think is a much better idea. The only kind of hesitation I have is that I didn't love Solo and 
I really, and he was obviously the best part of that movie, but I just, I'm kind of sick of these prequels. (laughs) Like I'm really (laughs) just kind of done with all these prequel stories. Like let's focus on characters we don't know all that much or have never even been introduced to. I just feel like the one problem, the big problem I have with Star Wars is that it just has such a hard time letting go of the past. We're always seeing younger versions of this character or this character at this point in time because like, they think, okay, this is what audiences want. They want to see Luke Skywalker. They want to see Hayden Christensen as Anakin again. They want to see you know, a young Lando. They want to see a young Han Solo. They can't just give us new characters like they did in The Force Awakens, which they, those were huge hits, those characters. Those are some of the most iconic characters in the franchise. We've done it before. Why can't we do it again? That's why, like, yes, I'm a little bit excited about this movie but I would rather just see an original Star Wars movie with original characters because I think that's far more exciting because it just it feels like there's so much to explore in this universe and in this mythology and it just feels so small when it shouldn't yeah like it just feels like how many times could we could it all lead back to the Skywalkers or how many times can it lead back to a character that we've met previously before like if anything, that's what felt so fresh about The Mandalorian is that it was treading its own territory. Yeah, we path. had no clue about anything. The only thing we were even somewhat connected to was the man, the Mandalorian lore and the idea of this baby, the baby Yoda of it all. And then it's like, oh, you know what? Like That's somewhat familiar, but it's also given us something relatively new as well, too, in the franchise. Mm-hmm. So. That's what was so exciting. That's why I felt like when in season two, they started taking steps back when all of a sudden it's Boba Fett. And then it's, oh, here's uh, um, uh, Katie Sackhoff's character from Clone Wars as well, too. Or here is Luke Skywalker in particular. And then I'm like, uh, it kind of felt like we 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 went back a little too much, I think, on that front. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you. It Honestly, give us characters that we've never met before previously and if we're going to have any of these if we're going to have any of these characters that are legacy characters i would say just make them very periphery characters at the very most like make them make them that they're somewhat in the background somewhere or yeah. may or make them that oh you just missed them <laughs> yeah i just i just i i just feel very like whatever <laughs> about this like i honestly forgot that this was even being made so and i was like oh okay i guess this is still happening like you said disney star wars they've announced so many projects that have just gotten scrapped or just never came to be so it's like yeah like you said i'll I'll see Mm -hmm. it if it ever does come out like we'll see um oh yeah and and the other thing too is the one disappointment i have that um this is not a disney plus show is that have you ever watched atlanta uh i watched like a little bit of the first season okay that show, when you have Donald Glover and his brother <clears throat> at the forefront in writing, they will deliver you an unconventional show. And that was the potential I saw in making this into a Disney Plus show is, oh, we're going to get something that's that's very different than what we're expecting. But with this becoming a movie, I mean, yeah, there, there's good. There's good and there's bad to to all mm-hmm. sides. So, yeah. All right, so you you've heard it here. We're just kind of yeah <laughs> about we'll it. Believe, we'll yeah. believe it when we see it in front of us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we need to see to believe. Um, and speaking of see to believe, Aquaman two is a thing that's happening, people. And we finally got our first official trailer for the movie. This is a movie that has been shrouded in just negative. <laughs> 
just negative energy because of just all the bad word of mouth from behind the scenes and also bad, you know, uh, advanced screenings, test screenings. And, you know, there's been a lot of bad word of mouth about this movie. But finally, we have our first trailer for Aquaman 2. It is finally time for us to talk about the first footage from the movie. Let's talk Aquaman 2. What did you think of this trailer? Did it increase your excitement for the sequel? Did it kind of look like all of the bad word of mouth was telling you was going to look like? Where did you fall on this one? So keep in mind, I actually really, really enjoyed the first Aquaman quite a bit. Me too. Like that, that is one of those movies that it, it's such dumb on fun. Me. Yeah. And, and, and also it's one of those things where like, you know, the, the interpretation of Aquaman or Arthur Curry as this bro, like, Oh, hell yeah. My man type of type of character. It's not, necessarily, it's not necessarily what Arthur Curry is, but you know, this is a much different take. And I thought he, I thought he did well to earn the mantle of Aquaman by the very end. I bought it. Um, now, having said that, going into this, I know there, like you said, there's tons of controversy and there's the Amber Heard of it all as well, which she's in the trailer for like just like a yeah, split like two second. seconds. <laughs> yeah, just like just like one shot of her banging on a window and that's it. Yep. <laughs> but um, overall, I would say my excitement is. First of all, I was really excited for this movie, too. I mean, granted, with all the goodwill I have from the original, James Wan is back to direct as well. Everybody everybody that worked on the original is back for this one. So I had a lot of good faith going into this. And I will say the trailer, the first half, I really loved. I loved the whole aspect of you see Aquaman now as a father and trying to balance out you know, being the king of Atlantis and all these other responsibilities. It feels like a very DC thing to do. However, when it gets into the second half of the trailer where it starts showing you some of the big action set pieces, I mean, honestly, I kind of felt like we've we've been there, done that before, and not in the best way possible. I mean, like, it just kind of feels like where's the giant threat for for the second half of the movie? And granted, I think we'll we'll be seeing more of this as we go on. But so far, I'm like, okay, uh, as as a as a first trailer, it it, it does its job, definitely mm-hmm. does its job. But I will also say too, I think uh, no, noticeably, at least with this movie, the effects are, I think they're not as good as in the original. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean. I went into this trailer with extremely low expectations given all the negative word of mouth and I dug it. <laughs> yeah. I like I'm actually really looking forward to this movie. It looks very akin to the first movie where it's like this colorful comic book come to life. I feel like James Wan understands the inherent goofiness of this character and all of the underwater battles and creatures and this that. Like he embraces that. He doesn't try to throw it away or discard it. He embraces the goofy nature of it all and I love that. And yeah, some of the special effects here, they don't look very polished. You know, obviously there is still time until the movie comes out. Well, you know, the cliche thing to say. So we don't know. Maybe it'll look better. But I didn't really mind most of the effects. I think the underwater battle sequences look fun. I like that black Monta looks like he's going to have more of a sizable role here. I felt like he was kind of, you know, relegated to being like this second tier villain in the first movie. And when, when you have a great actor like Yaya Abdul-Mateen the second playing it, it just seemed like a waste. But now it seems like now that he's on his quest for revenge, that should be interesting. But I'll tell you the thing I think I'm most excited about for this movie is the uh, the brother dynamic between uh, <laughs> Aquaman and his brother King Orm from the first movie, Patrick Wilson. 
I'm looking forward to that like bromantic adventure. I think that's going to be the highlight of the movie. I think they're going to have great chemistry. We're probably going to see some kind of slow redemption arc for his brother, and maybe they'll teach each other some things. Like I'm excited for that aspect of the movie the most. Yes, the action looks fun. It looks colorful. It looks vibrant. It looks exciting. But I think those two characters I'm most excited to see interact with one another because I feel like, you know, King Orm was the villain of the first movie and he was fun. But, you know, I felt like Patrick Wilson didn't really get a chance to really flex his acting muscles all that much. I mean, he went for it, which I gave, you know, big props for. Mm. Um, But I want to see him show a little bit more of his range here. And I think he's going to. And I just I I can't wait to see what they bring out in each other. So I'm most excited about that. Oh, yeah. Like, like some of my favorite parts of the original Aquaman is some of the more comedic bits between uh, Arthur and Orem as well. I mean, like there's small little things here and there, like, like, like just the way they'll, they'll talk to each other. It feels like very much like a, like a familiar, like, even though they, even though these two have never really met and they've never really interacted much with each other, there still feels like this familiar bond between them. Yeah. I mean, like there's that moment where Arthur's just like, you know what? I dreamed about meeting you every day for, for 20 years that I never in a million years could have imagined you turned out to be like such a dick. <laughs> I was like, yep. all right, that's hilarious. So good. Then, such a brother thing to say though. Yeah. It's like, it's, I, I couldn't expect you were going to be such a dick, man. <laughs> I think one of the best things to come out of the first movie was, I think it was like the honest trailer where they just did like all this, all these cuts of King Orm just screaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even Patrick Wilson thought it was hilarious. Like I don't think he even realized how much he screams in the movie. I, I remember I was in tears laughing because I didn't even realize how much he screams in the movie. <laughs> He's he screams quite a bit. He he has a lot of, he has a lot of sizable dialogue, that's for sure. I mean like yeah. hell, even his even his big catchphrase, like um the freaking um Oh my goodness, now I'm blanking on it, but there you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I'm definitely interested to see more footage, more of the story. But I think in terms of our first trailer, I think we were shown a lot more than I thought we were going to be shown, probably because James Wan's like, look, this is the first time people finally get to see my movie. I want to make sure I can show them a bunch of it. Um, and I think I love James Wan as a director. He's just so versatile and I love his camera work. I love his sense of um, cinematography. I think that I just I can't wait to see more of his type of action and the way that he films movies. I just I love it. So I'm definitely looking oh, yeah. forward to that too. Oh yeah. And then also on top of that, like with anybody that's really kind of following all the stuff about like, you know, all the test screenings and all this other stuff. I mean, granted, te- here's the thing. Test screenings could it could be a big indicator, but I would never say go off the final word on that. All right. No, I, like, I don't like, always I, trust I, them. And that, well, I, I've legitly have seen like movies that have tested horribly and that when the movie comes out, they've actually like fixed it up quite a bit. I mean, there's the infamous story about like um, X-Men First Class getting really terrible, getting really terrible um, test screening results. And then all of a sudden when the movie comes out, it's hailed as the best X-Men movie ever made at the time. So, you know, I would say I, w- I would say it's just one of those things where just wait and let's see what we got. I trust in the team. I trust in what they're going to put together. But, you know, a, l- a little, little side of caution on that one. I would yeah, say. I think we're both cautiously optimistic for this one. But, yeah. hey, if I want to see more King Orm screaming. Let's go. Bring it on. Cautiously optimistic. I did. I do. the. I did the thing I'm, I'm not supposed to do. I already I already have an Arthur Curry Aquaman in the gold suit pre-ordered. Oh, as an you're action one of figure. those people. Before you see the movie, you get the figure. 
Let, 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 listen, listen. I want, I want, I want that gold suit, and I want that black mana, and that's it. <laughs> All right, whatever you say. <laughs> but now we're going to shift from sequel to prequel. That's right, people. We are now going to talk about the brand new trailer for the Hunger Games: The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, the prequel to the Hunger Games trilogy. Brand new trailer came out today that gives us our biggest look at the movie yet, which hits theaters this November. Um, what do you think about it? <laughs> what do I think about it? Um, I mean, you kind of made it clear before we started recording, but let the people know. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. The, the, the job of a trailer is to get you more excited for the oh, film. Here we go. And honestly, this trailer made me less excited for it. I mean, like, it's the thing where, where our lead character um, in Rachel Ziegler's, uh, Rachel Ziegler's role is mitigated in the trailer, and she's supposed to be our lead, and we we really don't see much of her, I mean, or we don't hear much of her in the trailer. And I was just talking about this with my fiance, where we were just like, is is all the recent stuff with Rachel Ziegler coming out just kind of making lines yeah, go? Like yeah, that. yeah, pull pull it back a little bit. Let, let's let's not have her speak too much in the trailer. And it's like, what is going on? Again, I mean, I've like, never read the the book. I don't know if like Snow was really the main character of the book, or mm -hmm. you know, I'm not really sure, so I can't really say. But but the thing was, if you look at those initial trailers, I mean. Rachel was front and center all the way through and like they really pushed they really pushed her and then now it just kind of feels like all right we're winding back on that a little bit and yeah, now it like, just seems like, like a snow origin story that's what it kind of seems like now. <laughs> yeah we're gonna focus on on the the snake not the songbird right <laughs> oh you've been waiting all day to say that fucking one all right <laughs> I, can, I, can, I saw the shit-eating smile on your face <laughs> <laughs> just oh, like, you just like, here's the bullet just let me fire the gun <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean but i have so many concerns about the story of this um i mean just it feels so much smaller in scale than all the other hunger games movies and granted people are like oh well that's the whole point with the prequel but uh -huh. does that make an interesting movie if if i'm to be completely honest i know somebody uh of somebody that we're very familiar with um is pretty excited for this movie um i unfortunately am not as excited for it and i'll still go see it but you know did, did the trailer do its job no no it didn't okay now this may shock you but i actually think it looks great that's right. I'm, I'm, I'm a 180 on this one because I thought it was going to be terrible. I thought, like, I didn't really love the first trailer, did absolutely nothing for me. So this trailer, I was like, all right, let's see what they got now. But this one actually, like, has me interested, shockingly. Like, <laughs> I, I think the idea of, like, learning how Snow became evil, how he started out as, like, a good man who was just kind of corrupted. And it seems like, you know, the person he loved, he basically, you know, I think they had that great line at the end of the trailer where it's like, it's the people we love that destroy us or something like that. Yeah, um, Sutherland's, which, Sutherland's line from the original movie. Yeah, which which I love. And I thought that was a great way to end the trailer. But I, I think the performances look solid. I think Peter Dinklage and Viola Davis in particular look fantastic. Um, Jason Schwartzman as uh, an say. ancestor of uh, Caesar Flickerman, he looks great. I love that whole line where he's just like, you know, smile. That's why we have teeth. I thought that was great. 
love that line. <laughs> um, and visually, I think it looks really nice. Is Francis Warren's, Warren's directing yes. this one too? Yeah, okay, I had a yes. feeling, yeah. His movies always look fantastic. Um, oh, yeah. So I'm actually excited. I think the story looks interesting. I'm, you know, obviously we know where Snow ends up in life, but to kind of see this earlier version of him and to see him slowly get more and more corrupted and kind of turn to the dark side, so to speak, uh, I'm interested to see it. And I'm shocked to say that. Like, I'm, I'm not like the biggest Hunger Games person. I enjoy the movies. Um, but I don't know. I, I wasn't really, this one wasn't really on my radar. Wasn't really looking forward to it all that much, but. I'm definitely looking forward to it a lot more now. So I had the opposite reaction. So there you go. See, and and, and that's the thing is that when, when I saw the first two trailers, I felt exactly the way you did right now. And then now with this latest trailer, it just kind of seemed like, okay, it kind of seems like been there, done that, if that makes any sense. Like, like we, like they're not giving us much of anything new in these trailers and just, just like, if, if you're not going to give us anything new to chew on with this trailer, I would say just wait for the movie and cut your losses. <laughs> like, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? But yeah. So, so it worked for you. All right. Great. I mean, I mean, <laughs> great. it didn't work for me. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Two different sides of the same coin people. Um, but yeah, so we're, yeah, we're done with that trailer. I'm done. I'm done talking about it. <laughs> I'm good. I'm done. <laughs> until, until I'm, I'm done talking about trailers. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's time to talk about our movie of the week. And uh, this past week we had a, uh, or was it last week? Yeah. Was yeah, it? it was last week. Yeah, it was last week. One, uh, one week ago flies. tomorrow. Yeah. yeah, I have like no grasp of time anymore. <laughs> um, but last week we had a brand new Hercule Poirot uh, mystery hit theaters with A Haunting in Venice, the latest installment from Kenneth Branagh, which um, is a little bit of a horror film this time around. So interesting new waters for the franchise. Um, so we're going to talk about this movie in spoiler territory. We're going to be going into spoiler territory. So if you haven't seen it, you might want to steer clear of this video or recording. Um, and then come on back once you have seen it. Uh, or if you just don't care about spoilers, fuck it. Just keep listening or watching. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll entertain you. Um, so we're going to talk about generally what we thought about the movie, and then we'll dive into some spoilers. So um, what did you think of A Haunting in Venice? And what did you think of the first two Poirot movies, Death on the Nile and Murder on the Orient Express? Well, Murder on the Orient Express, I actually watched for the first time um, last week, actually, oh. right, before, right before seeing uh, Venice. And same thing with Death on the Nile. I mean, uh, but I will say uh, this is also one of those weird things where back in college, um, I went through an Ag Agatha Christie phase alongside with like, you know, just a whole bunch of stuff I was reading at the time, you know, Jack Kerouac, um, just a whole bunch of stuff I was reading. So uh -huh. I did read murder on the Orient express as well too, especially with the fact that, um, have you heard about this project? Uh, David Fincher's murder <laughs> on the Orient express. I, I feel like I do remember he was originally going to make it and then something happened and he, it just fell through. Uh, yeah. Um, was called, I think it was the budget went up too high because of the fact, um, he had planned to set murder on the Orient express on an airplane. And I was like, Oh that my God! With David Fincher, that would have been so freaking that been awesome, incredible. So, so like I remember hearing that news like ten years ago and being like, "All right, I've got to read Murder on the Orient Express," and so read that and um, went through and read Death on Death on the Nile. Actually, no, I, I I read a little bit of it and then I saw the original film. Actually, so yeah, but with the Kenneth Branagh version, I think Murder on the Orient Express actually. You know, it was a fairly, fairly, um, fairly faithful adaptation of that book, and I thought it was great. Um, 
you know, I thought Branna did bring a lot of his his um his quirky directorialisms and certainly certainly was a choice with pro with that giant beard in the, at least it. the first movie. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, all-star cast and I thought it was just, you know, it was it was, it was very very suitably executed, I thought. Um I I I I I think my biggest problem with Murder on the Orient Express was that it was so faithful to the book that it didn't deviate too much if that makes any sense yeah not not many surprises yeah not many surprises but it was stylistically really good though um death on the nile i don't know what the heck happened with that movie i I was i did not care for it everybody was miscast especially gal gadot in that oh my god like i usually i like gal gadot but like i don't know what was about that movie but nothing was working with me not even re hammer nothing nothing at all (laughs) um so yeah so going to see um going to see Haunting in Venice. Um I was very intrigued by the by the first trailer because again, like you said, it showed sort of like a horror aesthetic to it. And knowing that this was a Perot movie, I was like, oh my God, wait, that's that's so much more different than than any of the other stuff. And that feels like a great that that feels like a great end for a movie, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. If it truly surprised you in any way. And I will have to say, this movie definitely did surprise me quite a bit. It's easily my favorite of the trilogy. It's easily Branna's best um, best foray into this. It easily has some of the more, some of the more, um, uh, for lack of a better word, don't see a coming moments. And they really do twist certain things. Where uh, oh, and the other thing too is, I remember. I remember being like, okay, I never read that that particular version of a bo- of the book, and then when I found out it's actually the Halloween party one, I was like, oh, wait mm-hmm. a minute, I did read that. It was not a good book. <laughs> like it's it's infamously known among the inner circles of like Agatha Christie fans that you know it's like, oh, um, yeah, this is not the best one out of the bunch. It, it it leaves a lot open to interpretation, or it leaves a lot of unanswered questions, and then also you kind of feel like in this movie in particular as well, they did preserve that element where Tina Fey's character is sort of just Agatha Christie herself. You know, it's not, it's not, not necessarily as well handled in the book as it is in the film. So I would say that this is one of the rare exceptions where a book adaptation actually betters the original source material in a multitude of ways. So I really enjoyed this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, this was easily one of the biggest pleasant surprises of the year for me. Hundred and ten percent. I've had a lot of movies surprise me this year that I went in with like super low expectations, and like I think Murder in the Orient Express. It's not bad. It's fun, but very forgettable. Um, Death in the Nile. I really didn't like. Um, it just felt like it was just a complete misfire. It just like you know, Brano was the best part of that movie because he's the only one trying to have fun. <laughs> he's the only one who just feels like he's perfectly cast um, yeah. in that movie. Uh, but like both of his movies looked nice, but that was really like the best thing I could say about them. Like at their best, those movies are like fun, but mostly forgettable. Um, especially the second one. Um, this one went in with low expectations, and I was stunned by how much I enjoyed this movie. I think 
This one stylistically, I think, is by far and away the best of the three. I think it's just overall in terms of its story, the surprises, the mystery of it all, the performances. I think this is the best one we've had so far. Um, and I think this is easily the best directed one out of the three. I mean, I love oh, the yeah. camera work in this movie. Like you just really saw Brana really just channel, you know, all of his Brana isms with the Dutch angles <laughs> and the, the, you know, the, the cute, you know, body camera angles and stuff. I was like, I love it. It's great. He's having fun. He's, he's being quirky. He's tapping into the heart elements of the story i loved it and it makes me feel like he if he wanted to he could probably direct a really solid horror movie like a full-on horror movie you know not one that has like some scares like there's potential there for him like there was actually a couple moments in the movie that i did actually jump and i was like what the fuck yeah <laughs> i was like good for you brana all right cool yeah, i jumped more in this movie way. than i did the fucking nun too <laughs> oh my god and i still haven't seen that movie either don't don't bother it's trash <laughs> Um, no, but, but it certainly feels like Branagh has learned a lot of lessons from his 90s adaptation of uh, Frankenstein as well, too, which is, again, it's a very faithful adaptation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. But for some reason, it's just so forgettable. And you have an amazing actor like Robert De Niro playing the monster. But yet the only thing we really remember is freaking Kenneth Branagh with long hair running around the entire place shirtless. And that's pretty much that's pretty much all we remember from that movie. <laughs> yeah. My God. But I mean, I think Brana again, I think this is his best performance as Perot. I love oh, yeah. the production design of this one. Super creepy, super immersive. Uh, what was, Tina Fey was actually surprisingly good. I expected yeah. to kind of hate her. I actually thought she was going to be like really miscast in this movie, but I was surprised by how much I enjoyed her performance. Um, I'm trying to think who else is in this movie. I'm come. Oh, Jamie Dornan. I thought was really strong. Definitely a different kind of role for him. I thought he really surprised me in this movie. Um, who am I forgetting? There's someone else. Oh, Michelle Yeoh. Michelle she was Yeoh. fantastic. Yeah. There you go. And in her limited screen time, I thought she was phenomenal. Um, as the um, I can't come up with the words right now. What? Uh, what, what was she? The psychic? <laughs> the I don't know. Yes. Well. No. Not psychic. Yeah, let, 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 let's let's just call her the psychic for now. Yeah, we'll just call because, her the psychic. Yeah, um, just I mean I know we're in the spoiler territory right now, but it's like you know what? There's still there's still a little bit of surprises for this movie for people. <laughs> yeah, but you know let let's just dive on into spoiler territory. What we liked, what we didn't like. Um, by all means, lead the charge. Well, first off. The atmosphere in this movie is oh, so fantastic. palpable. It's so fantastic, it, and it also it also oddly enough feels like it feels like a um, a direct causality from the hyper over budgetness of you know Death on the Nile and Murder on the Orient Express, where there's so many like you could you could feel that there's so many CGI elements in those movies. Yeah, and then when you watch this movie, it feels like they stripped all that away and they just focused on the character and they just focused on this very intimate setting of that apartment building in Venice. And that, I mean, honestly, what that does, that gives Branna just all the more room to basically just make this a full on character story and not be distracted by the toys, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And I thought that just, I mean, again, like, like, like so many people were just like, you know, um, if you have a big budget, it enhances the creativity. And I feel that that's what actually made this movie work was they took away the toys that Branna was very used to using in that original two films. And then they were just like, you know what? Well, we're stripping it back just just a little bit. And we're making this just purely on atmosphere, the darkness element. 
and just flat out just being like, this is a mystery through and through. And I think it, uh, I think it all works together to, to make such a better film than the last two. Mm-hmm. And I, speaking of the, uh, the story, I think, well, I mean, first of all, the, you mentioned the atmosphere. The thing I loved about this movie is that it felt wonderfully claustrophobic. Like it yeah. takes place, you know, uh, Halloween time and, you know, they're in Venice and like the whole area is flooded. And so they have to like lock down the place. Perot rock, locks down this, you know, um, like penthouse of sorts, this villa, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he's like, well, no one's leaving until I figure out who did this and why. <laughs> and it just, it feels so perfectly claustrophobic. I was like, yes, now this is what these movies should be. Just like, you know, close quarters, murder mystery. Let's see what happens. And the thing that always like for me, like I get excited about whodunits because I'm like, ooh, I want to figure it out who it could be. And everyone seems like they could be a suspect. And I'm always worried in the back of my mind, it's like, are the reveals going to suck? You know, am I going to see them coming from a mile away? Are they going to be underwhelming? Because that'll ruin the whole experience for me. Even if, you know, especially like when things are firing on all, on all cylinders, like the performances are good. The direction's fantastic. I love the atmosphere. This is great. I just hope it doesn't, you know, you know, shit the bed. And luckily, it's like every time, you know, early on, they would kind of reveal the twist that like, you know, Tina Fey's character and this police officer were kind of like in cahoots with each other, which... I, you know, I called early on in my head. I was like, I hope this isn't the reveal. And it happens. I was like, oh, fuck. But then I was like, wait a minute. It's kind of early in the movie yeah. to reveal this right now. And I was like, let's see where they go. I'm like, so they reveal that, but it's not what you think it is. It's like, okay, they had this angle. She wanted to, you know, get an idea for a new book, which, you know, you could see coming from a mile away. She wanted to drum up some drama and su- some suspense to get herself back on the map. Um and I was like, okay, that makes sense. And I'm like, but then what's going on over here? And then you slowly start to realize, okay, there's like more than one twist here, more than one reveal, um, yeah. which I and loved. It, and there's more than one party at work in this film yeah. as well, too, or in the story, which um, the original the original book, from what I remember, was very – it's a very short book. And it's also just one of those that like feels like a very straightforward – someone gets murdered – we got to figure out who did it. And then in this film, it kind of felt like, yeah, someone got murdered, but it kind of feels like four or five things all went wrong at once to right. basically lead Perot down this road where it's like, how could, okay, okay. If this person was doing this, then how could this have happened if this person was planning on doing this? Like it's it, like, like just the way they play with the expectations it's it's a really great way to sort of spice up the whodunit as well too. That's why whenever we get stuff like, especially the Ryan Johnson duology of the Knives Out movies, I mean, like yeah. you know, you find out the twist very early on, then you're like, okay, how's this going to play in later on? Then you yeah. find out the twist isn't the the most important thing. The most important thing is you as the audience having the information that you have now. How does that affect how you look at everything going forward? And I think that's the fun element that they really do play around with this movie in particular. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, I could tell like early on, especially when uh, Perot kind of busts the psychic where like she, you know, he finds her like assistant in the uh, the chimney. And I was like, oh, wow, that was fast. <laughs> Wait, with, with the remote. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Jesus Christ, that was fast. Uh, <laughs> um, I thought that was great. I was like, okay, so this is going to be a little bit different where like we're going to think that he solved it, but not really. Um, and then when it was revealed that um, the murdered girls, um, well, accidentally, I guess, murdered girls, mom it's- was responsible. I thought that was great. I, I mean, I saw it coming. Like, there was a, a point in the movie where I think it was her, like, her ex-boyfriend mentioned kind of, like, how shitty her mom was. And I was like, 
Ah, yeah. That, yeah, that was, I was like, okay, it's probably her mom, but let's see why. But, but I love the fact that it was kind of more of this sad reason where, like, the mom wanted to, like, keep her home and wanted to protect her and didn't want to lose her and didn't even mean to murder her. You know, she, like, left the room, didn't realize that, like, someone was going to, like, give her this huge spoonful of this, you know, essentially poison. Um, the honey, and, right? <laughs> you know, and it, was, and it was pretty tragic. It was, like, a tragic reveal. It was emotionally compelling. And that's the thing I liked about this movie. It's like, yes, you have the atmosphere, but there's this great sense of, like, melancholy going through the whole thing, too, which I really like because we're also seeing – kind of Perot explore his own ideas of like death and the afterlife and ghosts and how he feels about all that, how he doesn't really believe in it. And then how he's slowly starting to believe as the story, you know, gets more and more intense and reveals more and more. I love that. You know, I like that we're exploring more of the detective. You know, that was the only good part, in my opinion, of Death on the Nile was that we explored him a little bit more. We got to know him a little bit better as a character. And here I feel like we get to see this different side of him, this side that doesn't want to believe but can't refute certain evidence that he's seeing and he doesn't know you know, what's real, what's not real. And especially mm -hmm. the end, which I think is the best shot of the movie. It's a gorgeous shot where you know the mother's on the balcony, there's a lightning storm, and then the lightning illuminates like this floating ghost that basically makes the mom fall into the water. Amazing. Love that. Great, 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 great shot. I mean like – there's so many succinctly really brilliant shots in this movie as well, mm -hmm. too. I mean, like you have that you have that opening shot over in Venice as well. You also have um The Dutch just, angles work this time around. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Dutch angles work to, to sort of put you in an off place where you're like, oh my God, something just feels very yeah. off about just it, it, it felt less in the original films, it felt more like a stylistic choice. Whereas in this movie, it feels like it's a storytelling device, if that makes any yeah, sense. It feels way more suited for this kind of story. Yeah. Especially with the fact that, you know, everything feels all crammed in. Every, like you said before, this feels very claustrophobic. And it just feels like, oh, they just shoved the camera into a corner and like, oh, you just have like four or five, four or five dudes over in a corner just trying to fit this angle. And you're like, yeah, it, it gives the perception of just like this really small, really intimate space. So, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, I, I love the shots where it looks like the camera's like attached to him as he's kind of like freaking the fuck out. I love that. <laughs> I was like, as soon as I saw that, like that angle and what he was doing, I was like, oh, this is such a great way to show this. There you go, Brana. Fucking have some fun, man. This is like your little haunted house movie. Let's do it. And it was such a perfect like Halloween movie too. Like this movie mm -hmm. way more than The Nun 2 got me in like that Halloween <laughs> spooky season spirit, which is so sad to say <laughs> that a movie that should be terrifying was so dull and so mediocre. And then you have this movie, which should have been dull and mediocre, ended up being super fun and even a little bit scary. Yeah. And then also, and the other thing too, going on with this, um, going on with 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 sort of just how the movie's put together as well. I don't think there's any fat to trim in this movie whatsoever. No, like it runs at a brisk pace. It yeah, is. Oops. I, I I never felt the runtime. In fact, by the time it was over, I remember going, "Oh, it's over." Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I felt like I got I got just enough of the movie. Yeah. Like it it it, it was. Even with Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile, Death on the Nile especially felt so long. It's only like two hours and seven, but God, that movie went yeah, that on movie forever. Dragged. It dragged so much. It was just like Brandon just being like, well, I got a bigger budget now because that original movie was so successful. Oh, and also Fox is going down the tube right now. So you know what? They're just throwing everything they could into this movie just to make it even just somewhat just, just enjoyable. And it just wasn't working. 
But um, but yeah, no, with this in particular, like yeah, no, there was no fat to trim. It was it was just boom, boom, boom. The the transitions between scenes were so seamless, and the ending I thought was also the most emotionally engaging out of the oh, bunch yeah, of them too. I mean, granted, granted with the ending for Murder on the Orient Express when you know, I mean, we're going into the spoilers when you find out everybody was involved with I it. I thought that was, I mean, I had never read the story, so I was like, oh, oh. everyone was involved? I was like, sick. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But and, see, that's and, the thing I like about Agatha Christie stories. Most of the time, it's not just like one person, you know, where like, it just makes it more fun where you're like, oh, could it be these two? Could it be these three? Could it be everybody? Like, that's why I think her stories are so effective where a lot of stories, it's just like one killer for this reason. Her stories, mm-hmm. it's like, it could be one, it could be two, it could be three, it could be four. It could be a, a bunch of them. And I love that about her story. It's just fun. Uh, but I, the, I think the twist I just absolutely did not see coming at all. And mm. I felt like I should have, but just was the fact that the blackmailer was the little kid. Yeah. That was it, genius. Also, it was so good. <laughs> also, also, the performance of the little kid. I oh, forget great. what his name is. Fantastic. He, he was great. He, he easily he easily rose to the occasion. And then like that ending on paper could have been just so just like, all right, do we really buy it or do we not buy it? And then when he starts getting into this backstory and even his final moment with Perot as well mm-hmm. on the boat, I thought like as much as I love all the all the horror elements of it, that's like the scene that's sticking to me more than anything else is the final scene between him and Perot and just Perot going, well, you know what? You'll be fine, but you still got you still got to deal with the consequences of everything that's happened so far. Mm-hmm. Even though it's even though it's not necessarily gonna even though it's not necessarily gonna end up with you in jail or anything like that, you're gonna pay for it up here. And I'm like, oh, I thought that was, I I I, I thought that was a really great way to end the movie. <laughs> Isn't it just shocking we're talking so positively about this movie? Yeah, I mean, again, I walked into this one just being like, all right, well, this is this is this is how review sites are going to be going forward with freaking the writer strike going on where, you know, there's not going to be much to talk about. I mean, like yeah. what, what movie is opening up this weekend? I can't think of anything. What this weekend? Yeah. I think it's the expendables. What movie is opening up this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's accurate. That's an accurate response. Yeah. yeah. D- didn't that franchise die 10 years ago? No. I'm, I'm, legitimately, I'm legitimately being serious. It was like like the last one came out in 2014 and then it was, they they didn't have any faith in it that it was going to be that was going to be successful. So they cut it down to a PG-13 and it's still bombed anyway. Oh, my yeah. goodness. What's yeah, going on? I don't on? know why they made another one, but we, we got it. Um yeah, but 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 I digress. <laughs> yes, but you digress. What would you give this one uh, out of five pints, though? I'm, I'm curious to see what you give this one. I would still say this is the best one out of the bunch. Um, however, it does it does fall into certain trappings as well, too, especially with the whodunits. Mm-hmm. That I don't think I don't think if if you're if you're if you're trying to be as faithful to Agatha Christie as um, as uh, Kenneth Branagh is you're not going to be able to get away of certain trappings where it's like, okay, um, you know, we're going to see certain things coming from a mile away, but at the same time, there's enough freshness just, um, just inserted into this movie that I think easily this is the best one out of the bunch, but in comparison to some of the whodunits that we've gotten recently with like something like, knives out or even just something like even scream six where it's like you know technically that is still a who done it 
where we're still trying to figure out who yep. who's doing all this and they play around with the reveals enough. And the thing with Agatha Christie is that every cliche has been taken from her that if you're going to be faithful to it, if, if you're going to be so faithful to it, it's, it's going to feel regurgitated to a certain extent. However, this one out of them all does not, does not feel like that whatsoever. So I will give it points on that. But however, as a whole, I would give it like a three and a half out of five. Yep. That's, that's, that's exactly what, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm giving three and a half out of five pints. Um, like, I don't think it's like the most amazing thing ever, but I had a really fun time with it. It's easily the most memorable out of all three and the most uh, like compelling, I think. Um, and it's just a shockingly good movie. I think it actually might be my biggest pleasant surprise of the year so far. I just <laughs> genuinely expected so little from it and I came out having a great time and just in disbelief. Um, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, see! I, I have a feeling that you're that you're going to be saying, "Oh, this is like legitimately one of the biggest surprises of the year." When you go see the creator in two weeks, <laughs> because like, because like, I remember just just like going to see every every one of your reviews. Oh, Grant Turismo is one of the biggest surprises. Oh, um, it's just, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is one of the biggest surprises. Sorry, August was a huge month for big surprises. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. but come on, <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Grand Turismo. I could have told you about Teenage. <laughs> Teenage Ninja Turtles. I knew that movie was going to be good. Yeah, right. and, 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 oh, and just don't don't make me pull up the clip of just uh, me going. No, I'm so excited for this movie. And then you're like, yeah, we kind of vetoed Andre Saad talking about this trailer. <laughs> Look, I like being surprised. It's one of my favorite feelings when I'm seeing a movie when I really don't expect much. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, you heard it here. It's a big recommendation from both of us. If you're looking for something good this spooky season, give it a whirl. I think you might enjoy it. You don't need to see the first two to enjoy this one. So just, no. just enjoy it. Just a fun murder mystery. Now, with the first day of you know uh, fall coming up on the 23rd, I believe, summer is coming to a close here. So the summer movie going season is at its end. So Andres and I, we decided we're going to give you guys our top five favorite movies that we saw this summer. So we're going to both do um, our five and four and then we'll do our three and our two and then we'll both do our one so i'll let you go first with your five and your four let the people know what you love this summer oh goodness all right i'm gonna go controversial i'm gonna go uh -oh. really controversial um number five for me number five is spider-man across the spider-verse wow and number five yeah. interesting I think, okay i think I, I think i just heard my fiance outside the door go what <laughs> yeah she should if she did i'm on her side <laughs> yeah but number four is um guardians of the galaxy volume three and that's why i got so far <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, at number five, I have Past Lives, uh, which I think Ooh. is an extremely good movie. I'm glad I finally got a chance to see it a week or so ago. Devastating, but really good movie with amazing performances and writing. One of the best like romance movies I've seen in a while. Um, definitely goes some places you don't expect. Um, and then at number four, a movie I just saw the other night, which I think is one of the best horror movies I've seen in quite some time, is Talk to Me. Loved, loved Talk to Me. Yeah, those are great. <laughs> <laughs> all right number three come on go on <laughs> number three all right all right number three mission impossible dead reckoning part one fucking oh, fantastic no. movie <laughs> uh, all i heard you say was fantastic movie you froze temporarily ah well uh number three is uh mission impossible dead reckoning ah, fantastic okay. movie there you go <laughs> oh shit <laughs> 
Do, do, I, do you I have your list for the entire no, year? <laughs> no, I, no. I realized my number five was supposed to be Mission Impossible. My bad. <laughs> ah. Yeah, my number five is Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. I think it's just it got like washed away by Barbenheimer, unfortunately. But I think that it was such a great action movie. I think it was almost as good as Fallout. Still an amazing action movie. Really good story. Really good. Um, story involving AI that I thought was very clever. Tom Cruise brings it. The stunts are fantastic. Loved it. Then at four, I have Past Lives. And at three, uh, I have Talk to Me. <laughs> all right. So I already mentioned my number three right there right. With, with Mission Impossible. So yep. you go ahead. <laughs> all right. So my number uh, two now is Oppenheimer. I think Oppenheimer is a phenomenal movie. I've seen it twice. I got to see it in the 70 millimeter IMAX the second time, which blew a freaking socks off in every way possible it's hard to see movies any other way <laughs> after that one i just think it's an unbelievably good movie about oppenheimer like it just on paper this movie shouldn't work it shouldn't be nearly as good as it is it shouldn't have made nearly as much money as it has but it's just a testament to nolan and his filmmaking and his writing and the way he's able to get amazing performances out of people that it's just an incredible incredible film that's powerful visually stunning the performances across the board especially from killian murphy and robert downey jr and emily blunt and just everyone across the board so so good it's a movie that is like so compulsively watchable where i can see myself putting this on any time of day and just being sucked in it's just so good one of my favorite nolan movies for sure oh yeah absolutely and with you talking about 70 millimeter imax and all that other stuff i can already hear jindoyan being like oh nerd oh <laughs> yep. you're gonna go see it in 35 millimeter he's like yep it's 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 one of those things where where you know what it's so easy to make fun of it but once you sit your ass in a movie theater and then you yeah. watch it that that is the x factor like that is the reason why we go see movies like i remember <laughs> when i took my uh when i took my buddy into the city and we saw it um we got into the theater it was massive and we we're sitting down we we're just like jesus christ that's the screen or whatever but then like they were playing some like previews or whatever and he was he leaned over to me he's like i don't know i just feel like the sound is it's not going to be good enough it, it sounds really low i'm like just wait till the movie starts and literally like <laughs> the first scene of the movie comes up with like the soundtrack that's booming Ooh. the dialogue and he leans over he's like yeah it's good enough <laughs> <laughs> so it's just it's an unbelievable experience like the sound the, the the scope of the image it's just insane just makes a great movie even better oh yeah absolutely so if if there is a movie that fully warrants going to an imax theater to go see it Especially, I mean, just in any format in general, it's definitely Oppenheimer. Like, it's cer it's certainly a big spectacle. But my number three. <laughs> you mean your number two? Oh, yeah, 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 two. yeah, 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 my number two. <laughs> yeah, number five is Across the Spider-Verse. Number four is Guardians. We're both fucking up. <laughs> number three is Mission Impossible. Uh, number two, this is a very early start to the summer, but I'm going to count it anyway. Okay. Um, it is Ben Affleck's Air. I oh, thought that, that can, see, I was gonna put that in my top five, but it came out in April. I usually start at May for the summer movie season. May? I mean, April. April's still at the start of the summer yeah, movie season too, because like I, I don't count April as summer movie going season. All right, all right, all right. So, all right. So, if we're if we're gonna bump that, if you're gonna if we're gonna bump that off, then uh, I'm gonna move. I'm gonna I'm actually gonna circle all the way back over to my number five, and I'm gonna say uh, THU Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem is my number five now going okay. forward. Okay, so that's your number five. Okay, and then yeah. what four was? Uh, Mission and number Impossible? four was no, and then number four was um, uh, Spider Man Across the Spider Verse, Spider -Man. And, then number and then three. Mission Impossible. 
No, and then number three would be um, Guardians, and then Can't Mission Impossible shit. Two. <laughs> Can't keep track of shit today. We've messed up. Watch messed two men up. unable to keep track of five fucking numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Tune into film on tap. <laughs> oh my god! Jesus Christ! All right, wait. So number two was Mission Impossible. Number two is Mission Impossible. Okay, Jesus. Let me get this straight. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Okay. Um, Yeah, I think you... Wait, yeah, I have to go for number one now, right? Yeah, number one now for you. Okay. Best movie Uh, of the summer. (laughs) For me, my number one is your number... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Your number four. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I think it was your shake-up when you're like, oh, well, I'm going to go back to five, so now I'm all fucked up again. So this is your number four. Jesus Christ. My number four. It only got higher, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's across the Spider-Verse. This movie is just so special to me in so many ways. It's just, in my opinion, I, you know, I've seen it, I think, like three times now. Um, and each time it just gets better. It's just the gift that keeps on giving. It is, in my opinion, I think the most beautiful movie I've ever watched, just in terms of the visuals, the colors, the creativity that's on display. It's just bar none. There's just all these little intricate de- details that the animators are putting in this thing and it's just unbelievable and like even if the story and the character work sucked it would still be one of the most (laughs) beautiful fucking movies i've ever seen in my life but the story and the character work is still so good it's such an emotionally compelling story it naturally evolves miles in the sequel seeing all the different spider-men did not disappoint it's the best multiverse involving spider-man you know best multiverse movie that i've probably seen because it's it actually takes full advantage of the whole multiverse idea and it nicely connects to the other spider-man movies that we know in ways that doesn't feel overindulgent it's just kind of like a nice little wink and then it focuses on its own thing it does its own thing it has its own distinct style and it's funny, it's heartbreaking, it's a part one that actually works for me and stands on its own two feet. Yes, it's frustrating, we have to wait years for, you know, part two, but I think I'm so satisfied by this one movie that I, it doesn't really feel like a part one to me. And everyone who I've shown it to has just been blown away by it, and then, you know, they're just as frustrated, they have to wait for the the sequel but it's a special movie to me. It's going to be very hard for any movie to top it so far. Like ever since I've seen it, no movie has really come close. I love Across the Spider-Verse. It fucking rules. I I also love this movie too. It's funny because it's yeah. like my number four. But you it's sure like number, number five. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's number four, but number five if we were to include air. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So yeah, my number one. We already talked about it. It's Oppenheimer. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I was wondering if that was going to pop up on your list. Yeah, I mean, again, i i was I was not willing to buy the Nolan train hype on this because Tenet was such a big letdown for me. Um, yeah, I think my expectations were a little bit lower for this one just because Tenet, like, I enjoyed it, but like, it just wasn't his like best in terms of like storytelling. It just, you know, people tried to justify it with you know the line in the movie where it's like, you don't need to understand it, you just need to feel it. I'm like, that's just it, no, 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 like, no, no. You gotta explain. Like, don't get me wrong. Visually, it's a very cool movie, but story wise, it is so needlessly confusing and dense. And I just felt like Nolan could have done better. He has done better. So yeah, that's why Inception. I was, that's why, yeah. Inception was a dense movie, but it was still accessible. This one he felt spends, like. He spends an hour yeah. explaining you the rules, all right? That once you start getting into the dreams and the, and the, 
the the levels within the dreams, you're like, oh, okay, I understand everything of what's going on. Yeah, tenant, Whereas, this is you're lost, like almost immediately. <laughs> the te- tenant, the only the only thing I remember about tenant was literally, um, was was literally uh, eating eating almonds in the movie, and then getting an almond stuck in a cavity, and that's all I remember from seeing Ooh, tenant. That's rough. That and Kenneth Branagh's death scene as well, too. <laughs> I think I think my favorite memory associated with Tenet was that it was like um, the Christmas after it came out. Um, like my, it was like you know we just had dinner, and my dad's like, "Oh, let's put on a movie or something." I'm like, "Oh, do you want to watch Tenet?" And he's like, "Oh, is that the Christopher Nolan?" Movie? He's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Oh yeah, absolutely," because he loves Christopher Nolan movies. Mm-hmm. So we sat down as a family, we we all watched it, and I was just like watching my dad as he was watching this movie, and I could just see like. The, the wheels were turning up there and as soon as the as soon as the credits rolled i just i just like all right so what do you think and like he didn't say a word he literally just did this he just kind of gets up and then he just goes like this <laughs> just, like literally like, oh, he just what? like he was just he was like i don't know i he's just like i don't understand anything about that movie <laughs> i'm so sorry and, and, he's like he you know and he would he tried to stress he's like look i consider myself a very intelligent person and i had no fucking idea what was going on in that movie. <laughs> no it's it's nolan's magic trick he makes you feel like you're a dumbass for for not understanding what's going on and yeah. like but, i remember but, i watched like two like 20 minute long videos <laughs> on youtube of someone trying to ex, you know explain the mechanics and what's going on in this scene while this is going on and what's actually happening i was like cool 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 and then literally like 10 minutes later i completely forgot everything i just watched and i was like not worth it <laughs> well it's because you're not really tied emotionally to any of those characters in the yeah, same when, way when the that, main character is called the protagonist not really going to get emotionally well, involved when, when when you also have your protagonist literally going listen I'm the protagonist of the situation. You're like, all right, I'm done. It's like I'm done here. I'm done. But 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 having said that, anyway, Oppenheimer. Uh, we digress. Oppenheimer. <laughs> yeah. So Oppenheimer really does feel like Nolan learning from a lot of his previous mistakes. Yeah. I, I, Dunkirk. I I liked Dunkirk. I don't consider it to be the masterpiece that everybody else does. I agree. I enjoy Dunkirk, but I don't hail it as this like god tier war movie that most people call it. I think it's an effective, well made movie. But I think I've mm-hmm. only seen it one time. Like it's. The, oh, yeah. I think it's the Nolan movie along with insomnia and following that i've revisited the least oh insomnia is so good though i do not like insomnia i think it's extremely boring (laughs) oh man (laughs) not my fave not my fave yeah but but with going into this movie i i legitimately had my concerns about it and again a three hour a three hour epic on the life of Oppenheimer. You're like, man, is that really going to drag? And that movie does not drag for a single moment. That movie feels like a, feels like an endless stream of consciousness in the best way possible. It flows so effortlessly through so many of these different scenes and different timelines, different perspectives. It is, it's, it's most definitely the best thing I've seen this year. No, I can't even, you know, I can't even fight you on it. It's a great freaking movie. I can't wait to see it again, even though, you know, no one's smart. He's keeping it in theaters. Last I heard, I think a day or two ago, is that they're not putting it on even digital until like end of November. So like Good. he's really milking it. Good, because because honestly, that's the stupid thing that Barbie's doing right now. Barbie's yeah, making- I feel like Barbie got released on digital way too early. Yeah. And, and like, and the thing is, it's cannibalizing on the audience right now. I mean, like, there's nothing else in theaters right now. And even I still see people going into Barbie and it's like, 
you're you you are still making that little bit much from from the movie theater experience that you're gonna negate that by putting this on VOD. I mean, it's one of the many things that Warner Brothers is doing wrong these days, but no, I digress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take a shot every time we say I digress in this video. I you digress. will at least have a good buzz on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, people, that, those are our thoughts, not only on the best movies of the summer, but on the you know Haunting in Venice, the trailers for Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, Aquaman 2, and our thoughts on the Lando uh, series turned movie. Let us know what your thoughts are, are on these topics in the <laughs> comment section below. We always appreciate your comments. I'm sure Nancy will. I'm sure she'll be all over that. Uh, we miss her, and she'll be back in the next episode. Wish her well. Uh, and before we uh, head on out, Andres, where can the fine people find you on the interwebs? You can find me at PL under. Oh, no, that's not. Me. Oh, wait. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Okay. We miss you, Nancy. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at Twitter and Instagram as Galagos. You can also find me on twitch.tv as Galagos209. You can also find me on the High Voltage Media channel um, where we're doing several reviews here and there. And then you can also find me here. <laughs> Interesting way to end that one. Um, and you could find me on Twitter and Instagram at Tom Chattelbash. And you could find me on TikTok at Chattelbash Reviews and Facebook and YouTube uh, at Chattelbash Reviews. Um, and yeah, is that all of them? Yeah, I believe that is all of the social media I stuff. So. so definitely uh, follow us on all those different social media channels um and uh thank you for tuning into a brand new episode of film on tab we appreciate you listening or watching whatever you happen to do thank you for spending some time with us and we will see you on the next episode of film on tap where we've got the tap that never runs out you guys take care peace out